Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a lot to discuss, and uh, let's start with really, I think, just one of the most vexing questions just about the, the human condition, because um, I, think that, I think that this is sort of like one that w we keep on running into brick walls over and over and over again. And, 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 and the reason is because of this question, which we'll, which we'll get to in a moment. And I think until we actually um, clarify what this question is, we can't really make progress on it in, in, in our lives especially, and even on a macro level in, in the world. And it's so subtle, but it's so pervasive that it's one of those things that it's just very hard to actually articulate what the question is and what the problem is in general. So just the mere articulation of it, I think, will add, I hope, God willing, some clarity and then allow us to be able to, to move forward um, with God's help. So, so with that in mind, um, let's, let's, let's get to it. Um, one, of the, one of the turning points in the, in the Torah is uh, the Jews have just gone through the splitting of the Red Sea. And, and this is, you know, arguably the greatest revealed miracle in, in all of history. The, the Jews are about to get wiped out, you know. It's a, it's a favorite story of mine, but I'll tell it again, which is when my, son was, when my son was young, I don't know how old he was. He was my firstborn, maybe he was, let's say he was three years old, something like that. And we were like in the little dining uh, room area, and uh, and I was trying to explain to him what the what the medrash, what the rabbis teach about the splitting of the Red Sea. It wasn't just that the sea was on one side and the Egyptian army was coming from the other side. It was more than that. The sea was on one side, the Egyptian army was charging on the other side, and then it says that there were wild animals coming up, up at us from from the other two sides, from the two flanks. So I said to him, the, the water's over there. The Egyptians are coming at you over here. Wild animals are coming at both sides. Where are you going to go? And he says, to the kitchen. You know, so... So, anyway, that's... that's just, just to tell you what the stakes were, just to tell you what the stakes were, it, 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 was, it was more than, than, than just the, what, we, what we see in the text itself. And the sea splits. And, and, and from there we see, like, one of the, you know, obviously one of the, the greatest salvations and how salvation can come in the, in the blink of an eye, as it says. Keharif ayin, just in the blink of an eye, everything can change in a person's life and in the world. And so the sea splits and we go through... And then, so with that in mind, one of the great ironies in, in the whole Torah is that, um, is that we run out of water, right? So God just has shown his total mastery of water, right? And now all of a sudden there's nothing to drink. That in itself is sort of mind-bending. Um, and, and, and at the same time, we're also engulfed by the, the Ananiya Kovid, the, 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 the clouds of glory, which were these amazing supernatural entities that if, if people fired arrows at the clouds, the, the arrows would bounce off. It said that the, that, the, that the clouds themselves were like dry cleaning mechanisms, believe it or not, which kept our, our clothes like fresh and clean, right? It says that it, 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 it leveled hills that were in front of us and raised up valleys that, that, that were in front of us. A cloud went before us as well. So there were all sorts of amazing qualities to these, to these clouds. So we're in the cloud. The sea is just split. But we're out of water. This is the strange thing. We're out of water and there's nothing to drink and we're in the middle of the desert. And you can't live without water. And so the Jews ask this, this epic question at this moment, which is, is Hashem with us or not? Right? And then what happens is, right after they ask that, Amalek comes, the sworn enemy of the Jewish people for all times, Amalek comes 
and attacks us. Right? So, so the, the rabbis compared this to, um, to a, a, a child sitting on the shoulders of his father and, and uh, uh, someone comes, approaches the child and the child says to this oncoming stranger, have you seen my father? Right? So here, here the, the child is actually being held, held by the father. And yet the child has no awareness of it whatsoever and says, have you seen my father? Right? So, the, so Amalika comes in and attacks us. And this, I think, sort of like sums up the, the human condition right there. And um, let, me, let me just explain further. Which is that on the one hand, you're experiencing miracles, right? The sea just split. You're in, you're in these clouds, right? And yet, Amalek attacks. So, so what the mind, I think, it's almost like cognitive dissonance. What the, what the mind has trouble grasping is, how can God be there, and yet Amalek is attacking? So if God is there and Amalek is, is attacking, then maybe God isn't good. But if God is good and he's there, how can Amalek be attacking? So, so this is, I think, the f- sort of fundamental spiritual question that everyone has to grapple with, which is, we say God is there, we say God is good, and yet, simultaneously, Amalek attacks. And it's not a contradiction to the fact that, that, that God is there and that God is good. So I think that everyone has to sort of like come to terms with this. Because, because if not, you walk around in this state of um, confusion, basically, where you wonder, is God good? Or you wonder, is God there? <laughs> because I know Amalek is attacking, that much I know. And remember, Amalek manifests itself on every level. It either manifests, manifests itself as, as physical terrorism, like bombs going off and things like that, or it manifests itself as, as doubt. Remember, uh, uh, Amalek and, and Suffolk, in, in terms of um, Gematria, is the same number. So doubt is a more sort of spiritual attack. So, so a person has to be in a place ideally, where they understand that there's challenge in life and that that's not a contradiction to the fact that God is there and God is good. Because most people, most people, I think we fall into this, this, um, this sort of um, misconception of what it is that we're doing here. And I think that this is sort of... Um, further sort of exacerbated by um, Western civilization especially and all the comforts that we live in. Because we live in a, like a, a comfort um, economy and, and it's sort of an entertainmentocracy where it's sort of like, where we see it's the, 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 the duty of, 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 of life to, to constantly entertain me. And to the extent that I'm not being entertained, there's some crisis going on, really, some existential crisis. You know, I, I find myself falling into this all the time, which I, I hate, actually, which is that one of the things I ask my children all the time is they just did an activity. I say, was it fun? That's my first question. Like, I'm just trying to connect with them. I just want to talk to them, basically. I don't really care whether it was fun or not. But somehow, that's, that seems to emerge as the chief good in life, you know? that fun is truth, right? And if it's not fun, how can it be true? Because it's not fun! So, so this, is, this is a problem. This is a problem. Um, because we're here actually to accomplish something. And, and by definition, to accomplish something means that there's some work that hasn't yet been done that needs to be done. That's what it means to accomplish, right? 
which means challenge, which means opposition, which means pain. And that, that isn't a contradiction to the goodness of God at all. But it gets complicated because there's pain and there's challenge, but then there's another level, there's suffering. And then when you get face-to-face with suffering, then all of a sudden you, you, you can't offer explanations at that point. And you can't try to explain things to people at that point. All you can do is cry with them. See, because otherwise, all of your theory and all of your Torah and everything like that just almost becomes like a a cruel mechanism at that moment. You know? I mean, I... uh, And it says it right in Pirkei Avos, that if someone's dead is before them, and, you know, whatever that means, that could be any tragedy, but, but they put it in very stark terms. If someone's dead is before them, that is not the moment to cheer them up. Right? You, you just, it's because it's cruel. It's cruel. That's cruelty. That's not, that's not wisdom. That's not spirituality. That's cruelty. You know? You know, I'm always, my mind always circles back to it, which is that when I lost my mom, and I don't know if she had just passed away or she was just at her end. I don't remember. But I always remember the, 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 the best thing anyone ever said to me was I, was, I was in shul at the time, I was finishing up davening, I think I was taking off my tefillin or something like that. And someone who I didn't know very well, I don't even remember who it was, honestly, came up to me and he just looked at me and just nodded his head. And then I nodded my head back and then he walked on. And that was the best comfort that I received from anyone. You know? Because he didn't, he didn't try to do anything. He just said, essentially, non-verbally, which spoke volumes, was that, my heart's with you. You know, there are no words. I don't know. I don't know. No one knows. But you're in pain, and so I'm in pain right now. And, and that was that. And that, that comfort is still with me to this day. And that was almost 20 years ago. And I still feel that nod that he gave me. And I don't even remember his face anymore. But I remember the nod. So, okay, so what do we do about this? How do we approach this? How do we get practical about this? And, and again, let's just summarize it. You have three things going on simultaneously. And hopefully this is going to give us clarity in terms of how we approach our lives and how we approach our relationship with God. The three things are, God is good, right? God is right there, right now, with you, right there, right now, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and Amalek attacks. And there is no, and and remember, Amalek was not just, Amalek was cruel. Like, you know, when you see what these ISIS guys are up to, they, they were cruel, they were cruel. You know, Amalek was not just sort of like, oh, you know, like you imagine like, you know, do you ever see those um, images of colonial warfare where they all lined up like gentlemen with their, with their rifles and then they marched like gentlemen and they, you know, they'd get, once, you know, once people decided to start, you know, fighting in trees and, and things like that and doing, you know, more sort of what we call unconventional warfare, they were just like wiped out. It was like ridiculous. But Amalek is not these gentlemen warriors, you know, you know, of the British Empire. I mean, Amalek is down and dirty and, and evil and, and horrible, right? And yet, at the same time, not a contradiction to the fact that God's right there and that God is good. So, a person, given, that's just the way it is. I'm not saying that I designed that system. That, that is the way it is. I'm just boiling it down to its to its schematic right now. So now, given that, what are you going to do about it? Given that, what are you going to do about it? So you can make a decision. You can make a decision. Um, and, you know, I, 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 have a, I had the privilege of, of speaking before a, a little group uh, 
the other night, my, my niece is, is getting married, and, uh, and she asked me to say a few words. And, and so what I, what I talked about was, um, was kind of like a, the, an opportunity that's presenting itself right now. And I said it to her on, on, you know, on the sort of the eve of her wedding, but, but the truth is, is that this opportunity is available to all of us. Um, and, and let me just sort of sketch it out. Um, time time is, is a very interesting construct. Time does not flow um, smoothly. We, we tend to think of time as just sort of like, it just kind of, it's like a river that kind of flows. But... Um, and that might be true in the objective scientific realm. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But it certainly isn't true in terms of the human realm, in terms of how we perceive time. And, and I can tell you that as I you know, get older, time goes faster. And I know that this is true for everyone because I've heard, all growing up, I, I would hear people saying this, and now I see it in my own life that it's true. That it's sort of like, oh, it's, it's Shabbos again. Where did the week go? It's Shabbos again. You know, or it's Rosh Hashanah again. It's another year. Where did the year go? Where did, you know, so that's just, that's just evidence of, of time going very, very quickly. Right? However, however, there's the other side of it. Where you have a lot of recorded instances where time actually slows down. And I'll give you two examples of this. One is more anecdotal, but again, it's, um, it's something that, that many different people have said over the years. So I just accept it as true. And that's, um, in this first example, it's uh, baseball. When, when, um, when hitters get on hitting streaks and they're doing really well, many of them talk about the same phenomena that happens, which is that they see the ball is moving slowly. It's just going more slowly. And that gives them a chance to sort of like position themselves and then just to hit it better. So obviously, again, on a scientific objective sense, the ball is not going more slowly. And yet, in their minds, they see the ball moving slowly. Very interesting. Very interesting. Many, many players have said that over the years. Um, I'll give you another example. And this is something that I read in the New Yorker, and it was a more formal um, scientific study. And they were actually addressing this phenomena head-on. And one of the examples that they used was that, uh, I, I don't remember all the details, but the basic idea was that um, a vase is falling. Okay, now this is like a, uh, like, you know, like a museum-quality vase. And the person who sees it falling sees it falling in slow motion, right? And you have moments of um, crisis and, and even tragedy where all of a sudden time slows down and you see it happening in slow motion. And they said neurologically, one of the, one of the I'm paraphrasing, but this is the general idea, is that when events happen repeatedly over time, there's sort of an established pathway in the brain to absorb them. And so they don't make much of an impression on the brain because the brain is sort of like used to that phenomena, that event, and so it absorbs the event without much Im new impression happening on the brain itself. Okay? However, if something is brand new, there is no established um, pathway, neurologically speaking, and so the imprint of that experience is a very fresh, vivid phenomena, and the person experiences it in an entirely different way. And one of the ways that often gets expressed is it's happening more slowly. Do you hear? So, so again, Time, time is not this uniform construct, at least on the human level. It depends. It depends. So what I said to my niece was, right now, time is moving more slowly for you. And to give another example of this, 
Um, one of the things that I learned uh, in, in, uh, in high school, in, in, in geometry, that stayed with me, is, is the idea that a line is not a solid entity. And when you look at a line, it looks pretty solid. But a line is actually composed of an amazingly high number of separate individual dots. And each dot is not attached to the dot in front of it or to the dot behind it. But they're all so compressed together that there's this illusion of a solid line. Now, that always somehow haunted me. I don't know why that piece of information would haunt me, but it did. And, and, and I, I, I realized that there was a very strong application to life, and especially like um, the, the, the Torah understanding of the world in, in, in that sort of piece of math. So, for instance, I always think, like as an example, let's say I'm on a diet, and, um, and I'm walking to the freezer, right? I'm going to get some snack that I, that I shouldn't have because I'm on a diet, right? But I'm walking toward the freezer at that moment. So I say to myself as I'm walking toward the freezer, you know, I really shouldn't be doing this. But then I think to myself, well, I'm already walking toward the freezer, so it's done, right? So that's the illusion that a line is a solid entity. I'm stuck because I'm within, I'm within that pathway and it's a solid entity and I've already committed to that path so it's inevitable the outcome at that point. It just leads in one direction which is opening up their freezer. But when I remember that a line is actually composed of a series of separate dots and the dot behind it, the dot behind the dot that you're on right now is not connected to the dot that you're on now and it's not connected to the dot in front of you. I realize that I'm not stuck and that I can pivot and move in any direction at any time. That I'm never stuck that you're never stuck, that a person is never stuck, that they can pivot at any point because a line is composed of a series of dots. So there's freedom to exit at any moment or turn or redirect your energy at any moment. You're never stuck. This is the fluidity of life. This is the idea that God is creating and recreating the world every single nanosecond. Right? Like, like the example with old film strips, right? You hold a film strip in front of you and it's like a, a, a photo and then underneath that another photo and then underneath that another photo. And you see that they're actually separate instances. But when you play them very quickly together on a projector, there's this illusion of continuity. But the reality is that there are exit moments at every single moment. And that's life. That's the recreation of life every single moment. That's the idea of dots composing a line. At any moment, you're actually free. Every moment, we're free. So, so when, you, when you get to a place in life where you begin to see the dots within the line, then you, that's, that's the idea of time slowing for you. And then at that point, you have the power to make choices. You see, because most people live their life reactively. What, is that, what does that mean? That means something good happened, I'm happy. Something bad happened, I'm sad. Another bad thing happened, I'm sad. Sad, sad, sad. Happy, happy, happy. Sad, happy, happy, sad. And it's like my whole life is just reactive and just bouncing off the, the external feedback as opposed to being proactive and making a decision how I want to approach life. So, so everyone has this ability and this is a very empowering idea. I can decide how I want to approach life. Now again, let's... let's 
this brings us back to our initial question, which is, we have a fundamental incongruity in terms of life itself, which is, there is a God, he's good, he's intimately involved in every aspect of our life, and a Moloch exists, and it's cruel, and it attacks. So now the question is, are we just going to be reactive our whole life? Like, hey, things are going good. What? There's a tragedy? What's going on? Now I'm having a, a, a crisis of faith. Do I even believe, oh no, things are going good again. I guess God, I don't know, God, I don't know, God, what's going on with God? Last week he was good. This week I'm not sure he's good anymore. Like, what? Huh? I'm confused. And then people, most people, go their entire lives like that. And that's already a high level of reflectiveness. Right? That's like a level to be what I just described. But it's not where we want to be. It's not where we want to be. We want to be more in control of what, our, what we actually think. You know? So that means that we have the ability to say, you know what? There is an incongruity. Maybe it's a paradox. Maybe, and, and, and I know right now I'm never going to understand it because a person has to be honest. Like, I remember, like, one of the great things a, a friend of mine said, that, you, know, you know, more or less at the beginning of my own spiritual journey, was he said, and this guy wasn't a quote-unquote religious, wasn't a quote-unquote religious guy, but he was a religious guy. You can't say a thing like this and not be a religious guy, but outwardly, you know, you, he didn't look like a, like a, you know, with a long beard or something like this. Anyway, he said to me, can an ant outthink a man? And I said, no. And he said, so how can man outthink God? Right? So that's, that's just humility. That's just humility to, to recognize that, 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 that just as one of the aspects of being a human being in this world, we will never fully understand God. And I remember talking to someone, like a, a religious kid, who's like super smart, like, you know, like really like big IQ, like smart, smart guy. And I said to him, you know, we'll, we'll never be able to know everything. And he looked at me like I was like, like, like I was crazy. You know, like, like he had never considered the fact that science won't eventually answer every single question, even if it hasn't done now. Surely we're on a path to understanding everything. But no, we'll never understand everything. I said to him, can, can a cup of water hold all the oceans of the world? So God is infinite and we're finite. By, by, by definition, that means that we'll never grasp the entirety of everything. And, and I really, like, I feel like this, this teaching from the Kutzke Rebbe is, like, just so awesome. My mind keeps going back to it, which is, he says, I, ne I would never serve a God I understood. <laughs> Right? Because if you fully understand God, then you're also God. So then what do you need God for? But, but coming to that realization, which I think is actually not, um, not re 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 religiousness. I think that that is just reality. In, in other words, I think that it's just simple intelligence to recognize the fact that our intelligence only goes so far. And, and I don't think that that's a diminution in, 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 in the greatness of, of what a human being is. I, I don't see a contradiction to that. But I think at a certain point, there has to be a reality check in terms of how far we go. Right? And again, not, not to diminish the glory of, of, of human creativity and... and, and and brain power and, you know, potential. But, you know, at a certain point, you can have, like, the missing piece to a puzzle. 
right? And like, how great is that? Or you can have a key to like a treasure chest that has just like phenomenal riches, right? But that key to the treasure chest might get you diamonds and gold and everything like that. But it doesn't mean it's the cure to cancer. It doesn't mean that it's sort of like a blueprint of actual creation itself. In other words, you can accomplish tremendous things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to know everything that ever, every question that ever existed. Okay, so now, that helps me anyway. And, and, and I think that this is a very personal thing, by the way, because I think that everyone is going to have different takes on this. And, and everyone has to make their own peace with it. But, but to return to our central question, how can it be that God is good and he's involved in our lives and yet Amalek attacks? How can all those things exist at once? So if I say to myself, you know something, I'm never going to understand everything about life, but I know that God is good. That's a decision that I can make. That's a decision that I personally have made. I've made that decision. And I'm not asking for tests, by the way. You know, you're not, you're not supposed to ask for tests. It says God gives you the ability to pass every single test, except the ones that you bring on yourself. <laughs> and we learned that from King David, by the way. We learned that from King David. Um, but, uh, so, I'm, I'm not asking for any tests, believe me. Um, uh, but, you can decide, and you can even decide right now, you know something? I'm going to accept the fact that God is good, and that he's involved in my life, and yet Amalek still attacks and I'm, I'm, I'm going to recognize the tension of that. I'm going to recognize the fact that I don't have a very intelligent answer for it ultimately. But I'm going to recognize the fact that God knows what he's doing. And that the accounts of God are beyond, 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 beyond. They're taking into account reincarnations, past lives. They're taking into account future generations. They're taking account such a vast array that, that I literally don't have the information and paperwork for. But I'm going to, you know, my, my dad used to have this expression that he heard from his father, which I think is an older expression than that, which is that if you don't know jewels, know your jeweler. Right? So that's, in other words, there's certain areas where you just don't know. But if you know that the one who's running it knows, that can be enough. That can be enough. So I, I don't know what God, why God did that. Fill in the blank. I don't know why. But I know that God is good, and I trust in God's goodness. And that's an approach that everyone can decide that they're going to take. In other words, when the ball slows down, when you begin to see the dot within the line, when you decide that you don't want to live your entire life reactively, but that you want to actually have a mission statement in terms of approaching life, when you want to clarify the fundamental aspect of how confusing life is, you actually have an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to go through my life and I'm going to say, I don't pretend to understand everything, but I'm committed to the idea that God is good. And this is the Jewish faith, by the way. This is the Jewish faith, right there. That is the Jewish faith. And how did we get through all that we've gotten through? And I'll tell you, that's, I'm sure there's more to it than this, but this is a giant chunk of it. This is a giant chunk of it right there. Which is, which is, you know, put another way, the secret to survival. You know, if you want to survive, this is one of the secrets to survival. Because if a person goes through life with just a siege mentality, that at any moment the rug can be pulled out from under me, 
Like I heard a story, you know, it's, it's, it's an old reference at this point, but, you know, if you're above a certain age, it's still fresh, I guess. But I heard this from someone who worked with Johnny Carson. Now, Johnny Carson, for those of you who don't know, was the king, the undisputed king of late night television. I mean, he was Letterman and Kimmel and, you know, whoever else all rolled up into, into one, right? And then double or triple that even. I mean, Leno, he, he owned, he owned late night for decades. And I, and I heard someone who worked with him told me this. Every night before he got onto the stage, he said, tonight is the night that America turns against me, that I lose my audience. Now, here's a guy who was one of the most beloved figures in American you know, contemporary history. And how much of it did he enjoy? Probably pretty, probably a pretty small percentage of it. Because he thought every single day it was going to be taken away from him. And again, you know, you, you can make a decision. You can make a decision to not live that way. <laughs> you can decide. You can decide. So, so I'll tell you something else now. And this is also from the Katska Rebbe. I just learned this from Rabbi Dunner, and I was, uh, I was so moved by this. I thought that this was, for me, this was like a, the, just the, 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 the succinctness, you know, classically, that the Katska Rebbe always brings to everything, that this is like a game changer, this, this Torah. He says, and he's talking about the spies right now, he says that there's a difference between accuracy and truth. So I'll explain what that means in a second. So just to set the stage for just the whole incident of the spies, and um, there, there is a question, which is you could, you could actually ask yourself, what did the spies do wrong? Now, meanwhile, remember, the whole 40 years of wandering in the desert was all because of the spies. A whole generation dies out because of the bad report about Israel that the spies give. And one of the things that we learn out about that is that it's Lashon Hara. It's also called a misuse of speech to speak bad about the land. That's one of the lessons that we learn about the, the spies. Okay, So um, anyway, so, so Moshe dispatches them and he gives them a whole checklist of questions. Is the land this? Is the land that? Is it this? Is it that? What do these people look like? What do those people look like? A whole checklist. And when they come back, they give answers to his questions. So what's so terrible? What, what was so terrible that they did? You know, by the way, one of the most chilling pieces of Torah that I ever learned in my life, I heard from Reb Shlomo about the spies in, in the name of the Zohar. He said that the spies saw rivers of blood coming out of the land and that through prophecy, they saw every horrible tragedy in history that would ever happen to the Jewish people, but they didn't see one thing, that it would all happen because of them. Can you imagine? I got the chills saying it just now. I mean, wow, right? So anyway... The spies are just doing their job. The, 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 Moshe says, like, like, what, you know, describe the land. They come back, they describe the land. But they did more than that, and, and it's, it's for another time. We can't go into the whole topic right now. Let's get back to what the Kutzker said. He said there's a difference between accuracy and truth. Their, their conclusion was, they gave a conclusion. I don't know that they were asked to give a conclusion, by the way, which is that we can't conquer the land. Okay. They were asked to describe the land. They weren't asked to give a conclusion that we can't conquer the land. And again, that, that, okay, we're right here, so we can't skip past it. That was the fundamental, as, as I understand it, that was the fundamental problem with what the spies did, why there was a whole um, decree that a whole generation would die out, and that instead of going straight from Mount Sinai into Israel, that 40 years of wandering would take place. Because of this following thing, which is that they essentially said, God is setting us up to die. 
we're going to go in and we're going to get massacred en masse by, by the residents who are in the land right now. And then what they essentially told the people was, God is not good. That was what was communicated. And the people believed the spies. Right? In other words, back to this formulation. There is a God, and he's good, and he's intimately involved in our lives, and Amalek attacks. So you can say, well, either there is no God, or you can say, God is not good, right? Or you can say, there is a God, God is good, Amalek attacks. I don't fully understand it. I don't know jewels, but I know my jeweler. I know that God is good, and so I believe in God's goodness. They came to another conclusion. They came to the conclusion that God can't be good. Because how can those things all coexist with each other? God is setting us up to wipe us out. And God says back to them, says back to us, that's who you think I am? That's who you think I am? You think I created all of this and did all of this and gave you all of this in order to kill you? We can't do business together. This is a deal breaker. We can't, we can't, we can't do business together. So this generation is not going into the land because if this is what they think, I can't, I can't relate. I can't relate. So to show you the fundamental importance of understanding and believing in God's goodness, right? And, you know, we talked about it, we talked about it last week from Rabbi David Aaron, something so intense and beautiful. Here, here you could see, if you're, not, if you're not a deep thinker, here you could see the vengeful God. You don't think that I'm good? Ah, a whole generation gets wiped out. You could imagine a vengeful God, like, you know, strutting his stuff at this point, right? But you'd be completely off. You'd be completely off. Because, again, when we talk about God's holiest name, Yudke Vavke, this essentially means love. So it's not, it's not God got angry. What does it mean when love gets angry? What happens when love gets angry? And that's what happened in this instance when love got angry. Because love said, you think that I'm hate? So love got angry. <laughs> and love said, I can't deal with you. But that wasn't hate manifest itself, manifesting itself. That was love saying, I can't, I can't be partners with someone who thinks that love is hate. So, so now let's get back to the Kutzker. He says, listen to this again, this is a game changer. He says, there's a difference between accuracy and truth. Okay, what's accuracy? Were the spies accurate? The spies were very accurate. They, des they described the land very accurately. What's the truth? God's going to give us the land anyway. <laughs> You understand? There's this disparity. This is why life is so magnificent. Why life is absolutely so magnificent. Because there's accuracy, which is that I'm never going to meet my husband. I'm never going to meet my wife. And then all of a sudden, I met my husband, I met my wife. But how did that happen? Because that was the truth. Because God was planning to do it all along. But all the outside circumstances were lined up and absolutely testified that it wasn't going to happen. And you know what? That was accurate. But it wasn't the truth. <laughs> the truth was something else. The truth was something else. And the truth is, is that God is good and God is with us. And that Amalek attacks. <laughs> and it's not, it's not, it's not as much of an inconsistency as, as on a reactive level we make it out to be. It's a tremendous difficulty. But we can decide and make a mission statement to
to decide in our lives right now, you know what? God is good. And you know what? I'm going to make that decision and I'm going to go through the rest of my life and I'm going to say God is good. And that's how I'm just going to go through the rest of my life. I'm actually going to not live in this fuzzy state where I can't wrap my mind around the fact that God is good and God is with us, but Amalek attacks. I will never reconcile those old things. So I'm going to live in confusion my whole life and be reactive my whole life. Or you can say, I'm making a decision right now that God is good and that I'm not going to be able to understand a lot of what's going to happen for the rest of my life. But I'm going to hold on to this idea of the goodness of God and I'm not going to let go of it. I'm not going to let go of it. So, one more thought. Uh, because I don't want to minimize um, just the, the, the challenge of, of Amalek attacking. And 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 uh, you know how that how that affects us. I I, I don't want to just kind of w- wipe it away because because it's devastating uh, emotionally and and intellectually um, and spiritually. So, um, but but I do want to just shine uh, one 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 more light on it. Um, so uh, this this whole incident with um, um, Amalek attacking, and this is again right after the splitting of the sea, all of a sudden we have lack, right? Like God splits the sea and all of a sudden we have no water. So, so this is again very hard for us to understand. How can, there, how can God be right there and yet lack simultaneously exists? How can I not have my water when God is right there? And then when when we question that, where's my water? Then Amalek attacks. <laughs> now I have now Amalek, you know, on, on my heels. So this is the whole kind of chain of events. So all of this takes place at Mase Mariva. Okay, that's the that's the that's the name of the location. And so this this week I was learning it a little bit, and I thought to myself, what's the gematria? of Maase Mariva, right? Because there must be, especially when you have like the names of locations, which remember the Torah is speaking to us right now, right now, right here. And if they're giving us a very sort of esoteric sounding locale from forever ago, what does that have to do with me right now? So that means I have to unpack that address of this on a different level. So I figured, let me take the gematria of it, the, the numerical equivalent, and maybe that'll give us an, a, a further insight. So um, I was actually amazed because Masse Mariva, where, where Amalek attacks, where we experience this lack and this sort of like um, cognitive dissonance about the goodness of God and everything like this, that, um, that number, Masse Mariva, is 368. Now, 368 is a very significant number because we actually read about it um, every morning uh, uh, in, 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 the, in the Siddur, in the prayer book, um, about the amount of um, incense that would be brought over the course of a year um, in the Holy Temple. And it was, there was one measure of incense for, bless you, for each of the days of the year. That's 365. And then because the... Um, because the, uh, the Avoda, the heavenly service of Yom Kippur, was, was longer and more involved, there were three extra measures of incense that would be brought over the course of Yom Kippur, totaling the amount of incense to 368. So isn't it interesting that, and well, just so you understand what incense is, okay? Incense is... Um, the most spiritual of all of the offerings. And, um, you know, the... Uh, when Adam and Chava, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, it talks about their relationship with the, the tree of knowledge and with the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And it says that they saw it, so that impacted their eyes. 
It says that they ate it, so that impacted their taste. They held the fruit when they ate it. That's their sense of touch, right? They listened to the snake. That's their sense of hearing. So that's four of the five senses. But it never points out anything about the nose. So what the, what the great masters say is that, that, the, that the nose, the sense of smell, which is the most spiritual sense, that, that was never corrupted in the Garden of Eden. And so we have this tie to paradise on the spiritual level. Now, we experience this every single week, by the way, which is that when we leave Shabbos, remember Shabbos is called a... Um, uh, a, a miniature of the Garden of Eden, right? Um, when we leave, what happens? We, we smell the incense. That's part of the Havdalah ceremony. And that's our tie to the Garden of Eden, telling us as we're leaving the Garden of Eden, as we're going into the exile of the week, that our tie to paradise is never broken. Why is the special avoda, the special service of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, and Yom Kippur done in the Holy of Holies with incense? You would think, okay, let's like take the biggest ox and we'll offer that. Or let's say the longest prayer, right? Like what is so distinctive about Yom Kippur is that he goes into the Holy of Holies only one time during the entire year and brings an incense offering to show us that our connection to God and to, the, to holiness, to truth, was never broken on a fundamental level. It was never broken on a fundamental level. It was always there. It may have gotten covered over. It may have gotten, like the pathway may have gotten a little, you know, clogged with spiritual, you know, cholesterol. <laughs> it may have narrowed. But it never got broken and it was always there. Right? So now with all of this in mind, let's return back to this idea that the place where this central confusion comes, right? Like, here I am in the middle of the desert. You got to give me one thing. You got to give me some water. Right? You just split the sea, God. There's no water? Three days, there's no water? So are you there? Or are you not there? How can there be lack in the presence of your infinity. How can there be lack? How can there be lack in my life right now if you're always there? Maybe you're not there. Then Amalek attacks. So the place where that whole debate on a national level, on a, like a spiritual DNA level of the Jewish people, plays out is Maase Mariva, which is Gematria 368, which is the amount of incense that was offered over the course of the entire year, which testifies to the fact that our connection is never broken. Do you hear that? God is answering us with the locale of the place itself to say, okay, I get that you're confused, but the connection's not broken. Something is going on right now. Some deep soul fixing, some tikkun for the world is going on right now. And I understand that it's painful, but God forbid you should ever think that our connection is broken. 